Ready for the word? All right. We are going to finish off filet mignon. Philemon. And so we finished with verse 11 last time, but I'm going to go back to verse 8, take a running start at this. <clears throat> Philemon 1.8 to the end of the chapter. So therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you to do what's fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, being such as one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, to appeal to you my son, for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might, uh, might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but more, uh, much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that to my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will even do more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me that I, must, I trust that through your prayers I may be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. It's already blessed. We're going to receive it by faith today and be blessed by it. Holy Spirit, we call upon you again as the divine teacher, that you would anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening, open them by the gift of your grace, and cause them to see, hear, and understand what you're saying. Father, I thank you for ministering this to each person so they hear your voice and walk away with exactly what they need. Only you can do this miracle, and I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go to verse 8, and let's pick this up. This book is interesting. It's different than any other New Testament book that Paul wrote or any of the other epistles, the letters written to the church. And so all the other letters written by Paul are filled with doctrine, filled with teaching about our position in Christ, our righteousness, our justification, our calling, and the different things about the church in the new age, uh, the church age that we're, that we're in today. But this story, I mean, this book stands out because it's a story. It's a story of a slave that ran away from a master, Philemon, in the city of Colossae. He stole some things, ran away from his master, Philemon, and ran off to Rome. And in Rome, he gets caught, gets in trouble again, and gets arrested, gets thrown into prison. And there he meets Paul. Paul leads him to the Lord. And then Onesimus gets released from prison. And so Paul says to Onesimus, you are now free. You got freed spiritually from a spiritual prison, but now you're naturally going to be free. You need to go back and make it right with Philemon. You're right with God, but now make it right with Philemon. We can be right with God, but we need to make things right horizontally in our relationships. When we wrong someone, we need to make those right. And so he sends a letter back, kind of greases the skids 
for, for Onesimus and sends back to Philemon a letter. And so Philemon um, is going to get this letter. And so uh, we're going to pick up in verse 8. And so this letter, again, stands out different. It's much like Ruth in the Old Testament. Ruth is just a story in the Old Testament, a natural story. And so in that story, though, you see glimpses of redemption in that story. And so just as we see that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer of a Gentile bride, and so again we see pictures of redemption where Jesus Christ redeems us, the Gentile bride. And so throughout the book of Ruth, you see glimpses of redemption in that book. And so Philemon is, is unique in this New Testament because it gives you pictures of redemption. And so we're going to see Philemon is going to represent God the Father. Uh, Paul's going to represent the intercessory ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to find Onesimus represents mankind. Again, this story is not an allegory. An allegory where it means every little thing means something. That's not the case. It's not an allegory. Neither is the book of Ruth an allegory. So not every little thing in Ruth means something spiritually. But you see glimpses of redemption. Same thing with Philemon. You're going to see in this book different glimpses of redemption in Philemon and God the Father, Paul and Jesus, and Onesimus with us mankind. So verse 8 says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you to do what's fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. And so what was uh, Paul uh, interceding with Philemon to do? What was fitting that he wanted him to do? Forgive. He wanted him to forgive. And so it's fitting as believers to forgive. Why is it fitting for you and I to forgive? Because we've been forgiven. Raise your hand if you've been forgiven. Raise your other hand if you've been forgiven a lot. <laughs> then who is it, to whom, who are we to keep forgiveness away from someone else? And so no, if, if I just forgive, then I'm just saying that what they did for me is wrong. No, no, no. You release them, you release them to Jesus and you release what they did to you to the cross. That's where it was paid for. And so what was done for you was so wrong, so bad, that someone had to die for it. And that's called Jesus. Jesus died for what was done against you. And so he's forgiven you of a great debt. Now you turn around and release and give the gift of forgiveness to someone else. And so he says, I'm sending you back. And so look at that word. I'm, uh, so verse 8 says, I'm very bold in Christ to command you to do what's fitting. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather appeal to you. And so... This, again, in pictures of redemption, Paul said that, you know what, I could command you to do the right thing. But you know what, out of love's sake, I believe you're going to do it out of your heart. And we see in this in redemption. You know God forgives you not because he has to. But you know what, legally he would have to. Because what Jesus did, he legally bought your forgiveness. He legally paid your debt and legally did that for you. So God would legally have to do it. But God doesn't have to, doesn't forgive you because he has to. He wanted to to start with because guess what? Jesus was the one, uh, when Jesus was sent, it was God's plan that he be sent. He's the one that sent him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not like Jesus snuck out of the house one day <laughs> and say, you know what? Those people, you know, hate God and, and I don't know if the, what the father thinks about them. So I'm going to sneak out of the house. I'm going to go down there and we're going to redeem them. He gets up into heaven back again and says, I, I hope you're not mad, but I did something. I redeemed those rebels down there and now you've got to forgive them because of what I did. That's not way that, the way it happened. God sent Jesus because he so loved us. And so he wants to, 
to know that, that he loves you. And God doesn't forgive you because he has to. Yes, legally he would have to because it's a legal thing, but he doesn't have to. He wants to. And so, again, that's, that's the heart of God that we see here. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I've begotten in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and me. Do you know that before you got saved, you were not profitable to God? You were not usable by God. But when you get born again, especially when you become a disciple, you get renewed in the knowledge of who you are in Christ, then you become usable. And so again, he says at one point he was unprofitable, but now he's profitable. Now let's start now in verse 12. It says, I'm sending him back. Say sending. Look at that word sending. It's a very unique Greek word. You don't see this Greek word very often. This Greek word means literally, it's a compound word, which means to send up to a higher place. To send to a higher place. And he says, I'm sending him back. He started out when he left, he was a slave. But now Paul's going to send him back to a higher place. That he's in Christ Jesus. He's, the, he's a saint. He's righteous. He's holy. He's equal with Philemon in the Lord. He's sending them to a higher place. Guess what? When you got saved, guess what? You were a sinner before you got saved. But after you're saved, you're no longer a sinner. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You've been lifted up in Christ. You were crucified with him, buried with him, raised with him, seated with him. And you're co-joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You've been raised and, and the Jesus sent you back to the Father to a higher place. And so he says, I'm sending you back and therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Now Onesimus was freed from prison and Paul's sending him back but to Philemon, but Onesimus had to decide, am I going to go? Because he, once he gave that letter, he said, here's a letter, send it. Now you're going to get free here. And as soon as those prison doors open, I'm going to give you, go back to Philemon, go back to Colossae, go back home, make it right. But you know what? He didn't know for sure if that would happen. He could just took that and ran off and never went back. But we know he did go back because we have this book. And so he did go back and make it right with Philemon. And so that what brings out in redemption is Jesus paid the price for you, set you free from the prison of sin, then sends you back to the Father, but each person has to make a decision to be reconciled. And so, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, Verse, eight, verse 18 says that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. On God's side, he's reconciled you. He's done everything on his side. But then verse 20, the balance side is our part. Verse 20 says, be reconciled. See, it's our part to be reconciled. And so there's a teaching in the body of Christ today called universalism, which teaches Jesus died for everybody, so everybody's automatically reconciled to God. No, they're not. You must accept, be reconciled to God on your side. Raise your hand if you've been reconciled to God. Praise God. And so you've been, you've been sent to a higher place, and you've been reconciled. And so the same way Jesus paid the price for us, but it's our choice to accept that. And so next Paul says, you therefore Philemon, receive him, that is in my own heart. He was sending back Onesimus with his own heart. He says, this is a love gift. I'm sending Onesimus back to you as a love gift for me and receive him as my own heart. And so Philemon means, look at the word Philemon. Again, his name means one who kisses. One who kisses. That's the nature of this man. A name speaks of your nature and your character. This man was a man of love. Paul didn't have to beg this guy to forgive. Philemon was waiting for Onesimus to come back. Can you remember the prodigal son story? When the prodigal son come back, did he say, oh, it's you? 
What did he say? He was looking for, this, for, the, for the son to came back. And he ran him down and tackled the boy. And they had mud slop, slop all over him, and he had pig smell. But the father tackled him down, hugged him. And the Greek says he kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed all over his face. Kissed him. That's your father. That's how God feels about you. You may feel a million miles away from God. And I don't know about God if God wants me back. Yes, he wants you back. He loves you. And he's redeemed you. And he wants to show his love to you. And so we see God the Father in Philemon, the one who kisses. Jesus sends us back to the Father who loves us. We are, and so when, when uh, he redeems us and each sinner gets saved and gets sent from Jesus to the Father, every person that goes to the Father is a love gift from Jesus. He says, receive my heart. This person marries from my heart. Steve, he's my heart to you. This is Joanne, my heart to you. Turn to someone and say that you are God's love gift. You're the love gift sent from Jesus to the Father. You're, you're Jesus' love gift. Now, tell someone else, you're really the love gift. Someone needed to hear that. Look at verse 13. Whom I wish to keep with me. Paul said, I wish to keep Onesimus with me. That he would serve me. Whom I wish to keep with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. And so again, Paul says, Philemon, I wish he would stay here, but you know what? I need to, he needs to make it right with you. And I don't want you to realize that Ones, you met Onesimus in there and you never told me about it. So he's going to send him back. So it says, Whom I wish to keep with me on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains in the gospel. Guess what? You, guess what? When Jesus died for you, he paid for you. He purchased you. You're, you're Jesus' possession. But guess what? He didn't keep you all to himself. He turned around and sent you back to the Father. And he says, I'm going to share you with the Father. And so, yes, Jesus is not selfish. Tell someone, don't be a shellfish. <laughs> all clammed up in yourself. No, Jesus is not selfish. He purchased. He, says, he could say, well, I'm legally you. They're mine. I'm going to share them with anybody. No, he shares you with the Father and says, he says, I wish to keep him with me, but on your behalf he may minister to me for my chains in the gospel. Guess what? When he sends you to the Father and the Father gets done kissing you, he flips you around and says, go on back. I want you to minister in the gospel. I want you to minister on behalf of Jesus. Go out and be a, be a witness for me because guess what? The, the reason for your salvation, not just to go to heaven, but to be a billboard for Jesus and so the father sends you around and says, no, I, I, I would love to keep you, but you know what? Not yet. I have something for you to do. Go and fulfill the current commission and go reach people for the gospel. Verse 14 goes on to say, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might be, not be done by compulsion, as it were, by voluntary. And so Paul said, I didn't want you to be unaware of what I was doing here. And so, again, I want to use Onesimus in the ministry, but I want you to know about what I'm doing. Did you know that Jesus never did anything without the consent of the Father? Jesus says, I never do, a, I never do anything but what I hear my Father say. I never act, I never do anything that I don't have my Father's word on it. Someone in here, you're, you're moving off into an area, but it's your will. And God's leveling to say, you know, this is not your way. And, and, and there's someone that's, that's going in the right direction, but you're doing it in your way. 
And God's saying, no, come back to me, submit that to me, to my timing, and to my way, and it'll be blessed. But if you step out and you continue to do what you're wanting to do, it's not going to work out as well. Say, thank you, Pastor. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be done by compulsion as it were voluntary. What good deed is he talking about? Forgiving. You know, when you forgive someone, that's called a good deed. And so God has forgiven you past, present, and future of all your sins. And so that's a good deed. Now turn around and do a good deed to someone else. Forgive somebody else. That doesn't mean trust them. You know, forgiving is a gift, but trust is earned. And so that doesn't mean that they need to earn that trust back, but forgiveness is a gift that you give yourself. And you give to them, and you give back to them. It says, without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, but your good deed may not be done by compulsion. Again, God doesn't forgive you because he has to, but it's voluntary. God wanted to. It was his plan to forgive you. And so, again, he doesn't do it by compulsion. And so, you know, some, you know Jesus is like, you know what, Here, here's, here's this Christian and here's this Christian and so God's saying you know what I want to forgive them but do I got to I guess I got to because you paid for it no that's never God's attitude there's not a single person in this room is that he feels have compulsion in his relationship with you he wants he wants you he wants to be forgiving to you he wants to bless you it's his heart to do it look at verse 15 for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. And so Onesimus departed, left for a little while, but then Paul sends him back. He saved, sends him back so that he could be with him forever. That's redemption right there. Mankind left God for a time. But it says that he left, left him for a time so that they may be with you forever. Notice it says in this verse, it says, that for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. What purpose? That he may get born again. That he may get saved. That he might receive him forever. And so he said he departed from you that he may get saved. Notice Philemon was a Christian and didn't lead him to the Lord. Philemon was a Christian. Onesimus was a slave. We are to preach the gospel to all creation. And he had not led him to the Lord. Do you know sometimes the person hardest to lead to the Lord are those that are living with you? Or those that grew up with you? Or those that are in relationships with family members? Because familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes those kind of people, you're just going to have to trust the Lord for someone else to lead them to the Lord. What you need to do is you need to believe for laborers to come across their path with the gospel, the right person at the right time with the right message, and they just know the right person to make a click to them. And you're not that person to do that. I know you've been praying so hard and you've been trying to witness to them and trying to get them to get saved, but they're not going to get saved through you, but somebody else. And so raise your hand if you have a love, a family member or someone, that, a child, a grandchild, some person in the family. I want you to stand to your feet. We're going to believe for laborers today. They're going to come across them. Like Paul in prison. It, was, it seemed like it was just a happenstance. No happenstance. Because God's going to send laborers across their path, the right person at the right time with the right message, and be able to click with them. And they're finally going to get through to them. Father, I just thank you for those that are out there today 
that Lord, you sent Jesus to die for them, and they're your treasures out there, and you love them. And so we're asking you, Father, to send laborers, send a Paul across their path, a divine appointment, or the right person at the right time saying the right message that un with a key that unlocks their heart. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, even if it's a book or a track or a TV program, a preacher on there will get their attention or a person walking up to them with a message from God. Lord, I thank you for doing that. And we claim these people for Jesus, for salvation in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, you can be seated. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, purpose of getting saved, getting born again, that you may receive him forever. Because guess what? When you got saved, guess what? You have an eternal redemption. You're saved forever. And so have you ever thought about forever? Have you ever tried to think how long is forever? Forever, never ending, never, ever, never, ever, never. And, and all of a sudden smoke starts coming out of your brain. And then all of a sudden you're like, I know I'm going to be with Jesus. I know it's going to be a good thing, but it also scares me. Forever, never, ever, 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 never, ever 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 stopping but you know what it's gonna be a good thing for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that he might receive you might receive him forever look at verse 16 no longer as a slave but more than a slave a beloved brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the lord and so paul left him as a slave but came back free came back a christian came back the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus came back a saved one and so a joint heir with Jesus and so he left him one way but came back another way well welcome to salvation you come in as a sinner and you leave on the other side of it the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and you're redeemed and so guess what when you start out you're a slave to sin you're a slave to the religious law but once you get born again you're set free he sets you free and that you're free whom the son is freed is free in Indeed. Raise your hand if you're free indeed. So no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. But you're a child of God. Matter of fact, every one of you are a son of God. Now ladies, before you get upset, sonship is not a sex. Sonship is a position. And so we are in sonship. And so again, you can be a son if I can be a bride of Christ. So no longer a slave, but much more than a slave. But you know what? We're still a servant. Paul, over and over again, in every letter, every epistle, he says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. But once you get saved, you become a bond servant. There's a difference between a regular slave and a bond slave or a bond servant. What's a bond servant? That's the one that got freed as a slave but then came back to the master and says, because I love you and you love me, I'm going to voluntarily serve you. And so that's what a Christian is. In the Old Testament, when a slave got set free, that slave can return back and say, I want to be a slave for you until I die. And what they did, they would take him to a post, and then they would drive an, a metal uh, uh, awl through the ear into the post. They pierced their ear. Now, I think they probably unfreed them so they could actually, or they'd always be at the post. <laughs> But that was signing that I'm a bond slave now. I'm, I'm voluntarily your slave. Guess what? You got set free. You don't have to serve Jesus. You get to serve Jesus. Because he loves you and you love him. But you're not just a slave. You're much more than a slave. You're a son. You have sonship. That's what the book of Galatians talks about. No longer a slave, but much more. Say much more than a slave, a beloved brother. Look at verse 17. 
If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. And so Paul says, uh, Philemon, we're partners. And we've worked in the ministry before. We're hand in hand. We're partners that have the same purpose, same goal in life and in ministry. But this is a picture of redemption right here because guess what? God the Father and Jesus Christ are partners in redemption. And both of them are working together for your case, for your redemption. And there are partners together. But notice it says, if then you count me as a partner, receive him, receive Onesimus as you would me. That's a beautiful picture of redemption. Because Jesus says, we are partners, Father. Now receive him as you would me. The truth of the gospel is, is that when you come to the Father, he sees you the same as Jesus. That he, matter of fact, I'm going to suck the air out of the room, but I'll put it back. <laughs> God loves you exactly the same as he loves Jesus. Let me say that again over here. God loves you exactly the same as he loves his son, Jesus Christ. Does Jesus come into his presence and go, oh, it's you again? He's like, oh, Jesus. When you come, oh, you're here. Well, prove that to me, Pastor. I'll tell you scripture for it. Look in John chapter 17. John 17 is high priestly ministry prayer for his disciples right before he leaves the earth. John 17, look at verse 23. It's in the red. I want you to open your Bible and read it yourself or open your phone. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Look at it and it's in your Bible. John 17, verse 23. Jesus said, I, Jesus, are in them my disciples and you, Father, are in me, Jesus, that they, the disciples, may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you, Father, has sent me, Jesus, and have loved them as you have loved me. He loves you just as he loves you. He feels about you exactly how he feels about his son, Jesus. Well, I don't feel that way. Well, then you have your eyes on yourself. You're a navel gazer. <laughs> Oh, I'm no good. Look at what I've done. Look what Jesus did. Jesus redeemed you. He's, he's called you to be born again into his kingdom with his likeness, his nature. And he sends you to the Father and he feels about you exactly as he feels about Jesus. He loves you exactly like he loves his son Jesus. Can you say wow? wow. Look at verse 18. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that to my account. He does owe him. He stole things from Philemon, had walked away with it, walked away with a candelabra or with a candlestick or with some gold china or something, walked out the door with it and had taken some things from Philemon. But Paul says, if he's wronged you or owes you anything, put that to my account. And so Paul says, I'm good for it. Next time I see you, I'll pull my wallet out. I'm going to pay for it. But guess what? In redemption, that's what Jesus says to the Father. Because they owe you a debt. Because guess what? Sin is a debt to be paid to God's justice, holiness, and nature. And when we sin, there's a debt to be paid, but you can't pay it. But Jesus paid it on the cross. And so Jesus paid it in full. Matter of fact, Jesus paid an overpayment, a gross overpayment for your sins. No, I don't know. My sin was pretty bad. 
Well, you're looking at your sin instead of looking at the value of the blood of the one who shed it. Because the blood is the payment for sin. That's the only payment for sin God will accept. It's shed blood. There's no remission of sin without the blood shed. And it's innocent blood and perfect blood. But what was the blood Jesus shed? Was it mere human blood? No, no, no. Jesus shed the blood of God. Well, pastor, where's that? I'm glad you asked because you're Bible students. You want to have things backed up. Look in Acts 20, look at verse 28. Can you pop that up, please? Acts 20, look at verse 28. It says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God. The, the shepherd the church of who? God. That he, God, purchased with his own blood. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man in one person. But where did his divinity and humanity meet? One place in his being, the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus met in the one place is his blood. And that's why his blood was different than any other's blood. It was, no, it was better than the blood of bulls and goats. It was better than any other human blood. It was the blood of God that could take care of sins, past tense, all the way to Adam, all the way stretching through eternity to give you an eternal redemption. And so you need to stop looking at yourself and looking how bad your sin was and look to the blood that is speaking better things than that of Abel. It's put on the mercy seat. When, he, when Jesus went into heaven, he put his own blood in the mercy seat of heaven. And it says the, the blood of Jesus cries out better things than that of Abel. God said in Genesis, it says, I hear your, your brother's blood, Abel, crying out from the ground, vengeance. But I hear Jesus' blood. And Jesus' blood cries out, forgiveness, blessing, healing. Provision! It's paid for. Jesus on the cross didn't say, I'm still working on it. I'm still trying to pay for it. No, he said, he said, it is finished. Greek word tetelestai, which is a, is a financial term for paid in full. Matter of fact, that was stamped on a bill when it was paid. It was tetelestai. It's finished. It's complete. It's over. That bill's satisfied. God says, I satisfied your debt of sin once and for all and a gross overpayment. It's like your bill was $5 and Jesus said, how's $50 billion? Get your eyes on Jesus. But if he's wronged you or owes you anything, put to that to my account. Your sin was put to his account. And he paid for it. That's why you'll never have to pay for your sins. Because he took care of it. Once and for all. Look in verse 19. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Say my own hand. I will repay. He says, I'm writing this down with my own hand. And my own hand is guaranteeing this debt is paid. And guess what Jesus said? He, he stretched out his hands and allowed nails to go through his hands. So that in heaven... There will be only one man that has scars. No other person will have scars. You won't have scars. You won't have wounds in heaven. But there's one man that will have a wound and a scar throughout eternity. It's in his hands, in his feet, in his side. He's going to reach out his hand and say, it's paid. It's paid. I guarantee it with my own hand. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention you owe me your own self also. 20 says, verse 20, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. He says, you know what, Philemon, when you receive Onesimus and you bless Onesimus, it blesses me. 
And it's going to give me joy. And it's going to refresh me. When you bless Onesimus in, in my behalf and in my name, you bless him, it's going to bless me. I want you to tell something today. I want you to see something today that when the Father blesses you, it, Jesus gets joy. It rejoices Jesus. It says, oh, that makes me so happy that they receive that healing that they get their provision, financial blessing. Jesus is just busting with joy. Woohoo! Ah, I love it! Do some more, Father! Not only that, but it refreshes his heart when you receive his grace. When, the, when you receive... So, so tell, tell someone, you need to give Jesus some refreshment. How are you going to refresh Jesus today? Receive, 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 receive what he died for. Receive it from the Father. And when you do it, you refresh his heart. He loves it. See, you receiving is more than just about you. Don't be a shellfish. Give Jesus joy. Refresh him today. Verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing You'll even do more than you say. Say, I know you, Philemon. I know you. You're the one who kisses. I know your heart. I know your character. You're going to do way more than what I'm asking you to do. I'm just asking you to do bare minimum. You're going to go way over the top. But guess what? So does your Father in heaven. He does exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask or think. But here's another thing. He's, the Father can, will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all Jesus asks in your hand. And he's interceding for you today. And the father says, I got it, son. And, he, and, I'll take what you, and I'll do what you ask, but I'm going to do exceeding, abundantly, above, far above all you can ask or think. That's your father. Verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I'll be granted to you. Paul says, just get a room for me when I come. I want to stay with you. But in redemption, guess what? The Father has a place for Jesus, and he dwells with his Father. But guess what? Jesus is not going to come empty-handed. He's going to come with a bunch of other ones. And those that are in Christ, guess what? He's prepared a place for every one of you. Jesus says, in my house are many mansions. The Greek is dwelling places, but I love mansions. As I believe he's going to have a dwelling place for you. Guess what? He's a carpenter. And a good one. And he does exceeding abundant void. You can ask and think. I can think of a lot. But he's got a, a dwelling place for you that'll be so sweet. A crib for you, man. It'll be awesome. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. So the Father's preparing a guest room for Jesus and us. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Verse 23, Epaphras my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you. Verse 24, he's going to list four of them. Three of them I want to specifically talk about as we end the message that three of these are three types of people you'll meet in life. Three types of people. And so there's Mark, there's Demas, and Luke. And so I want to talk about Mark, Demas, and Luke. Mark was someone that blew it early on, blew it in life, but then later got it all together and started and did right at the end. And so don't look at me that way. You blew it when you were younger and didn't get it all right. But now you're walking in the right way. And so Mark was that way. And so on Paul's first missionary journey, he takes Mark. Barnabas is Mark's uh, uncle. 
And so he says, you know what, I better take Mark with me because I'll, his mom will never be happy with me if I don't take care of him and, and invite him along. His mom's not going to be happy. So he takes Mark along. They don't get halfway through the journey, and they come through a place called Pamphylia. Pamphylia was known for robbers, thieves, and murderers. And Mark gets scared and runs back home to mom. And it deserts them right when they need it. So he's the one that carries the luggage to the hotel and everything. And, and so now they have to carry their own luggage. And so at the end of the, you know, the, the missionary journey, they get back and they decide after a while, I'm gonna, let's go back to a second missionary journey, revisit some of the people, go to see what God wants to do. And Barnabas says, great, I'll grab Mark and we'll go. And he says, whoa, no, hey, Mark ain't coming. And Barnabas says, uh, nephew's coming. Mom, will, I, I won't face mom if I don't invite Mark. No, he ain't coming. I don't trust him. Well, he is coming. They had, a, they had a fight in the church. They had a church split, a ministry split. Paul left and took Silas, and Barnabas went his way with Mark. But later on, Mark got it right. He got discipled. He grew up, took responsibility. And at the end of it, Paul says, I want you to send Mark to me because he's profitable, useful to the ministry. And so there's some people that you write off that has been unfaithful to you. They've just, been, they've just been in and out, up and down. You're like, you know what? I don't know if they'll ever get it right. They'll get it right. You got it right. And so there's people like Mark in your life. Then there's Demas. Demas was faithful at the beginning but rejected and, and, and uh, basically let Paul down when he needed him the most. And that's Demas. And the second Timothy, he says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's abandoned me in the hour of my need. And there's people that are going to let you down. That you thought you counted on. Man, I just if anybody I would ever count on this person, I would count on. You leaned on them, and they let you down when you expected it, and you're hurt over that. And so there's that type of person. And then there's Luke. Luke is the one who just stayed faithful all the way from the very beginning to the very end. Pastors love those people. That says, Pastor, I'm with you to the end. The end of next week. <laughs> the end of the month. No, he just stuck with it to the end. And I have leaders that have been with me from the very beginning. And he just stuck faithful, faithful, faithful. And those are the people I like. And so there's, there's three type of people in your life. There's the people that are going to let you down at some part. But you know what? Don't totally write them off. God can turn that around and, re and redeem them. But then there's people, you know what? I put your trust in them. They would never let me down. They let me down. And then there's people that are just going to stick with you all the way through. But guess what? You need to get your eyes off people and get your eyes on Jesus. Because guess what, I've, I've just decided after 26 years of ministry, I finally got to a point, I've given up trying to predict what people will do. People are fickle. So get your eyes off people, get your eyes on Jesus, he'll never let you down. And let's finish this off. Verse 25 says, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. No, the, the verse says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is with your spirit. It is. You have grace with your spirit 24-7. You have grace. Every epistle starts out, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you, grace to you. And so you have grace. It's in your born-again spirit. And you have grace to do everything God's called you to do. That means to serve people, love people, forgive people. You have mission grace, assignment grace. You have grace. Tell someone you have grace. It's with your spirit. But you got to believe it, tap into it. And so you can live the Christian life by your own energy, by your willpower, but I'd rather do it by spirit power. I live it by the grace of God out of my spirit, man. I have grace for it. Father.
Bow your heads. Father, I just thank you for those that are listening. And I thank you for this wonderful picture of redemption. It shows your heart for each of us in this room. And today I want you to realize, God wants you to realize that he sees you just like he sees Jesus. That he feels about you just like he feels about Jesus. And he loves you. And he wants you to have that revelation. Because that revelation will heal whatever is wounded in you. It will empower you to do whatever he's called you to do. And you say, Pastor, today, I don't feel like I have that revelation that he loves me just like Jesus, that he feels about me just like he does Jesus, but I want it. I want to grow in that revelation. And so how do you grow in that revelation? Look at the cross where Jesus bled and died for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much the Father loves you, to send his own son to a cross. And say, Pastor, today, that's me. Pray for me that I have grow in this revelation of the love of God. I want you to lift your hands up. And I have my hands lifted up. Father, I pray that we would see through Jesus the finished work of how much you love us, to send your own son to a cross. And that when we're redeemed, when we come into your presence, you love us just like you love Jesus. And you feel about us right now in this life, right now in this room, as if we'll ever be in heaven and as much as you love Jesus throughout eternity. Father, give us that revelation by the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. This is uh, the heart of the Father concerning worship. My son or daughter, how I long to hear your worship. I'm jealous for these moments when you set everything, every weight, every care aside, and it's just you and me. In this place, I will refresh you. I will bring revelation about matters in this place. I love when you sing to me, a son or daughter to a father who loves you, who believes in you, who knows what he's placed in you to be my light to the world. You are complete in me. Trust me. Come to me. Let me refresh you as we join in communion together. I long for these moments. I long for these moments. God has made such a beautiful world and we can look around and see all the things he's created and it's it's so amazing but he's really really just put on my heart today that each one of us is a beautifully created vessel with with gifts with awesome things and he wants us to dwell on what he has created as beautiful and sometimes we can think of the oh this little thing is wrong or that fault or I messed up or whatever y'all we need to quit dwelling on that and focus on his beautiful creation which is you